another We Sign Some Guys episode of Dragon Soul Cast. Um, today I'm uh, talking to you a few days after the uh, the moves we made for uh, Orlando Querixte and Zoila Almonte. Um, I dare say you probably remember one of these guys. Um, so Zoila Almonte was, of course, one of the uh, Dragon's middle-of-the-order hitters during the... Uh, 2018 to 2020 period, I believe. Um, before he was, he went on a bit of a journey to go um, find himself, I suppose. But he's coming back. And uh, Calixte is, uh, some people might know him for his stint at the San Francisco Giants. And um, he's also played in the MLB for the Kansas City Royals. So there might be some recognition. Um but yeah, so today I want to talk a little bit about these two and how they might fit in. And also just to uh, pump the brakes um, for those that think this might be the only signing, the only foreign player signings the team will make, because it doesn't seem to be the case. So to start off with, where shall we go? Well, let's start off with um, Almonte and Calixte. So both of these guys have been playing in the Mexican League for the last in the last year. And both have put up some impressive uh, OPS numbers. Um, the Mexican League generally has a fairly high average OPS. I think it's about in the 800s at the moment, or last year, or this year, sorry. This season was about 860, I believe. Um, but yeah, both of these guys have done fairly well. Um, Almonte's raw numbers look actually better than the year that he had before he came to the Dragons. So that's um, kind of exciting in a way, but um, I, I've broken down those stats a little bit, um, which I'll talk about in a moment. But first of all, just the raw stats. So if we look at uh, Zoilo Almonte, um, he's made, he had 90, 90 games, 373 played appearances for a 322 average, 400 on base percentage, 644 slugging, which ended up with a 1.04 OPS. So um, pretty good raw numbers there, and uh, he hit 24 home runs. I think that's right. 20, no, 27 home runs, so 24 second base, two base hits. So 27 home runs, which is, I think, almost a career high for him, I believe. The year that he came to the Dragons, he hit only 15, but was still hitting like a 957 OPS. Um, yeah, no, that looks right. Yeah, 27 appears to be a career high, even through the, the minors when he was coming up and eventually debuted with uh, I think the Yankees. So <clears throat> and this this is kind of, I guess, exciting from one point of view because he is actually sort of on fire at the moment. Um, but the Mexican League is definitely very much a hitter's league, so we have to be a little bit careful with how we treat these stats. Um, what we can say, however, is that he's, I think, in the top 15 or well, at least the top 20 in OPS leaders in the Mexican League this year. Um, and he's done relatively well. I actually went ahead and calculated the OPS plus statistics. Now, OPS plus is a statistic that um, tries to figure out sort of the baseline of what an average OPS is. And then you can then sort of calculate how much of a percentage better a or worse a player is. So um, as I mentioned before, the baseline this year was about 860, I think-ish, which is pretty high, um, particularly if you compare it to the NPV, which I think is about, a, about 100 points less. 
Um, the OPS plus for Almonte this year was about 121, I believe. So that means he's about 21% better OPS than the rest of the league. So that in itself is sort of encouraging. But if you look at his uh, 2017 season with uh, the same team, with Monterey, um, he hit a, was a 9.57 OPS, but that was actually a 124 OPS plus. So the, they added, the Mexican League added an extra couple of teams um, and stuff. And also, I guess um, El Monte didn't play quite as many games. Yeah, he didn't quite play quite as many games this time. Um, but Mont, yeah, in 2017, he had an OPS plus about 124. I mean, it's not a huge difference, but about 3% difference between those two, despite the raw numbers looking much better this time. So um, with that in mind, that's kind of something to keep in mind. But if we compare those two seasons, his on-base skills have decreased slightly, while his slugging skills have gone up. So take that with what you will. Um, similarly, if we look at Orlando Calixte, so he played in 83 games, uh, 332 played appearances, 344 average, uh, 406 on base, 554 um, slugging with a 961 OPS. Again, I calculated his OPS plus to it be about 110, so it's a bit above the average of them in the Mexican league, which you know it's no, it doesn't blow you away. And if you look at his um, minor league statistics, he's I think the best season he had was. Probably in 2016, between Omaha and uh, Northwest Arkansas in the Royals system, between AA and AAA. And uh, yeah, he got a, what was it, about 745 OPS with 274 batting average. Um, but yeah, similarly, uh, our friend uh, Calixte hits uh, 13 home runs, which is fairly high for him. And he's so far putting along quite well in the Dominican Winter League as well. He has a 760 OPS in the Dominican Winter League at the moment um, with two home runs, uh, 289 average. So um, I think we have to consider that this these two signings may not make a huge amount of difference. I don't think they either of them move the needle particularly too much, but they definitely give a cover and depth for um, the rest of the team. And this is something that um, I'm encountering a bit more as what we call, or what I've heard being called, establishing the floor. So both of these signings were both very cheap. Now, the Dragons normally sign guys for about um, the equivalent of about 450K per year, or US dollars. That's, that's sort of their ammo. That's generally the amount that they put out to sign foreign players. Um, and that's been true for a very long time. Even when El Monte first came into the Dragons, he was given that 500, um, was it like 5 million yen? I, I, I'm, when you put it into English, I, I don't understand yen. But um, yeah, let, well, as I say, that, that sort of $450,000 contract plus incentives. So um, the first year that um, El Monte came in, in 2018, he passed those incentives and bumped his contract like I think he doubled his contract the following year so that's the sort of contract the Dragons put out to most of these foreign players in recent years I think uh, 
there's been a few exceptions, and I think Dylan G, who came in a while ago, was I think they gave him about a million dollars, and then there was also well, obviously Dayan Viciato came in for a little bit more, and I can't remember if Alex Guerrero was given more or not. I think he was already on a pretty decent contract after being cut from the Dodgers, so I think we were able to sign him fairly cheap. But, yeah, I, I don't quite remember Guerrero's contract, but um, Viciato definitely came in on a slightly higher contract. He was about a 1 million, 1.2 million deal when he first came in, and um, obviously he's, he's earning more than that now. But, um, yeah, so so but my, my point is, is that these sort of, here's a decent amount of money, prove yourself. So I think if you stay in the minor leagues, it's it's not much. It's like two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars a year or something. I I don't know exactly. But if you do get promoted to the major leagues, you can earn up to I think the base salary is six hundred k. So it's kind of playing on the gamble of well, if you come to Japan and do well, you will probably earn more money than you would trying to slug it out for um you know a bench spot on a major league team. So it's that kind of make you think contract. Um. So anyway. Put that aside. So both of these guys are more like on about 280k each. So really low, really low. This is um, su- surprising, to be honest. So I think you then have to weigh up the quality of each player with the cost and you can sort of, I think it becomes kind of agreeable. And with these two guys, you're giving depth to your team. And again, as I say, sort of setting that floor for, you know, if we can't get a super high upside foreign bat, then at least we still have these guys. So the way I sort of see Almonte and Calixte in the context of the team team building is Calixte definitely just adds depth to all of the infield options. So he is an infield. He's sort of a utility infielder. Now, he can arguably play shortstop, but I question that. I'm not sure um, that uh, he'll be able to play shortstop at MPB level, but anyway. But then he provides cover at second base and third base as well, which I think is important, provided, um, yeah, it's he's sort of like a right-handed Shuhei Takahashi in a way. So that that in itself is valuable um, if we're talking about platooning and also just providing depth for injuries. And also it means that um, guys like Hiroki Fukunaga, who just got drafted this year in the seventh round, we don't have to necessarily rely on him being amazing from the get-go to cover those positions so as our sort of infield utility guy so i mean there's that that's that's where um i think calixte sort of um fits in with uh the dragons mm, team building so i think he's probably going to be like third choice at second base probably third choice at third base and, you know, an emergency shortstop or something like that. I've heard he can play outfield as well, but I wouldn't expect that. And we've got heaps of outfielders that can play those positions. So I think this is, um, you know, it's it's a decent signing, but it's not like a wow signing. It's like if we, we sign just a, um, a veteran uh, NPB uh, infielder guy, like, uh, I don't know, um, Seigo Kawashima. Well, I mean, he's he's retired now, but you know that that kind of guy that can play a few positions, but um, is not going to break the bank. Um, or some someone like Yamato from the Bay Stars, or someone like that. I can just sort of play a number of positions. Um, so yeah, I I wouldn't expect too much from uh, Kalexe's bat, but in saying that, we don't know 
how um, players go all the time. Sometimes they're surprisingly just adapt and they're great. Sometimes they're not. Um, and Calixte's strikeout rate isn't isn't horrendous. Um, I'll see if I can quickly <laughs> quickly just uh, calculate this here. Uh, that's not right. I don't even know if I'm calculating this correctly. Probably not. Anyway, whatever. It's, it's not too bad. He's got 71. In uh, the Mexican League, he had... No, wait. Wrong person. Uh, seven, uh, 61 strikeouts in 332 plate appearances, which is not too bad, really. Um, he's definitely not going to strike out a lot, but um, probably a little bit more than some other. And, I mean... To be honest, his strikeout numbers are very similar to um, Almonte. Um, so Almonte has seventy-one strikeouts in three seventy-three plate appearances. So it's not not a huge difference between the two. So in a way, you're getting two similar sort of on-base types. But um, Almonte's definitely got more power. So to to move into what Almonte sort of offers and fits in, obviously he's a terrible defender. So that's part of why his value is limited. He's also thirty-three now um, he's going to be 34 next year so that's going to limit his upside as well um, he has an injury history <laughs> and um, yeah basically these three things really do count against him and I believe in the Mexican league he's mainly been a DH so unless the Dragons know something that the league doesn't know yet and the DH is coming next year he's going to be playing in the left field um, which well, could be an interesting experiment considering um, Tatsunami's been very defense-first with most of his choices so far. Um, also, he offers very little in the running department as well. He's not a particularly effective base runner, but he's not, not the worst. So with all these sort of things in mind, there's um, a lot... The upside for Almonte is very limited. So basically, if he can't hit, he's not worth keeping. Um, but ba if we base these um, Mexican League statistics on how he went the last time, then we can be, you know, we can sort of project that he might be still okay. And the fact that he has experienced Japanese baseball before means that he might be able to adapt a little bit better. But also the downside of that is that there are still pitchers in the league who are going to know who he is. So take that, what you may. Um, but yeah, I think Almonte definitely is going to be one of the better pure hitters in the team, just from that basis. Um, and I guess it means that you're hedging your bets with uh, the development of Kenta Bright and Korska Ukai and um, you know a number of other sort of corner infield types that you can just sort of say, well, worst case, we can just throw Almonte out there and he'll get sort of at least average production, provided he's fit. So in a way, it's, um, as I say, it sort of sets that floor, but it also means that, you know, the distance between Almonte and the younger players is not so significant that they could overtake him, um, particularly if, you know, that he's bleeding runs from through his poor defence, then, you know, you might say, well, you know, Kenta Bright might only hit 250 but instead of 280, but um, he's got a good arm and he's going to cover more ground. So let's just stick him in left field instead. So it sort of gives a, a more diversity of options and it, you can sort of fiddle with him a little bit more. I don't think we'll see 
Almonte in the right field, like uh, Yoda did occasionally, but um, I, he'll probably be restricted to playing in the left field. And you know, uh, if he's still effective come interleague, then probably playing DH. So yeah, um, I I don't have high hopes, but I think he'll still be an average, provided he stays fit. He'll be an average contributor to the team, and that's going to raise the floor at least a little bit. Um, I mean, last year we didn't have terrible production in the outfield. Obviously, Okabayashi and um, uh, Yohei Oshima contributed heavily to that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess there was one sort of, you know, Ariel Martinez sort of playing and, and not. And, you know, we had these, I guess, a bit of a rotation of options going through that sort of left field spot. But overall, it wasn't terrible. And... Almontes will hopefully just um, raise the floor of that a little bit and uh, lower the pressure on some of the young guys to uh, perform immediately. So that's that's sort of, I think, both of our players here and how they sort of fit into things. Um, I don't think they're, you know, they're not going to be world beaters, I don't think, either of them, but they do. They are going to fulfill roles within, this, within the squad. But uh, the good thing here is, is that because the money that they've spent on these guys is so low, they can now go out and chase some other guys that um, have potentially higher upside that might cost a little bit more. So now I don't know exactly what the budget is. Um, and I don't think we, we rarely ever do. But I believe I should actually calculate the, uh, the contract um, renewals. I might, we'll see how we go over time. I might try to do that. Um, but basically, the, I mean, the Dragons already always have a very low wage budget anyway, but um, I don't think there's going to be many players this year that will have a huge bump in their contract. Um, Okabayashi did. I think he got a fair bit extra this year, and Hidal Takahashi as well. Some of the younger players are getting big pay bumps, but um, I think on the, con the converse side of things, the older players have um, left the team. Like, uh, obviously, Ryosuke Hirata's gone, and... There's a number of other players. Ariel Martinez is not getting paid anymore as well. He was on about 600k. Um, with all this in mind, it's sort of the team probably have a little bit of a budget to chase after maybe someone in that $1 million range. Whether or not they're able to get exactly who they want is another sort of question. But um, so far, there's a couple of a couple of names have come around. Um to be honest, I don't know how much weight you want to put into these names, and uh, I don't know how realistic they are. But um, there is two guys that I will just um, bring up here. Um, so first of all, I think I, I, may have, I don't know if I mentioned this before. Probably not. We have Aristides Aquino. Uh, now Aristides Aquino is a 28-year-old outfielder who previously played for the Cincinnati Reds. He was DFA'd halfway through the season. Um, and, you know, the Reds weren't great this year either, so it's a, sort of a damning um, thing. But, uh, I mean, he's been a contributor with the Reds from 2019, basically. He's been there. He actually played a career-best 84 games in 2021 with a 707 OPS, but 190 average. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, so the, the big problem with Aquino is he strike strikes out a lot. Like even for MLB, he strikes out a lot. Um, so that's that's going to be the only problem. I traditionally speaking, 
the um, the guys that strike out heaps don't tend to do particularly well at NPV level. But in saying this, in uh, AAA, he this year, I mean, in a very small sample size, he had a 1.108 OPS over 91 plate appearances. Again, not a huge sample size, but um, he was raking in the minors um, before he was released by Cincinnati. So that's, I guess, one plus side. And the other problem is, is that, you know, will Akino actually want to come to Japan, um, particularly for the money that's on offer when he could theoretically get a deal maybe in the majors as a, maybe as a minor league invite or even as a full-time contract on a low-level team. Who knows? I, I, we, we don't know what office he's going to be uh, fielding, but I think if you want to sign Aquino as an MLB team, you really have to accept that he's going to strike out a lot and probably hit a few homers for you somewhere. <laughs> it's it's a bit of a gamble for any team, I think. Um, but I guess for the for, for the Dragons, like if you sign him on a $1 million one-year deal, just see what happens, then I don't see a problem with that. Um Considering, as I say, the floor has sort of been established with Almonte, and you never know that guys like Almonte might actually be able to um, advise these newcomers to NPB about best ways to approach um, MLB, uh, sorry, NPB pitching and that sort of thing. So, in a way, I don't know if this will actually happen. It really just depends on the players. But um, Almonte could end up being a mentor for whoever does come in, and that that could be a um, what do you want to say? One of those non-tangible things that um, that um, Almonte may bring to the team. Now, the other name I've heard flung around, and I put even less um, likelihood of this happening, is uh, Noma Mazara, for, who recently just played for the San Diego Padres in 2022. He was not um, terrible but also not really good enough. He had a, only a 6.68 OPS. But he has, when he first came up with Texas in 2016, he had three 20-run home seasons, 21 home run, 20 home run seasons in a row, um, and then a 19 home run season in 2019 before it sort of, um, his career sort of derailed a little bit when he went to the White Sox and the, then Detroit, and then the Padres. So he's been bouncing around some of these um, uh, challenging teams, I guess. So I don't... Yeah, I'm not exactly sure if this, again, is this is a realistic possibility for the Dragons to go after someone of Mazara's ability. I think you have to sweeten the pot with more than just the, uh, the, the, the cash um, because he's... I think his record's probably a little bit better than Aquino's overall. I think Aquino's probably got more raw power, but Mazzara probably has a better overall approach um, that will probably suit the uh, MPB a little bit better. He doesn't quite strike out as much, I believe. So that's that, that's a positive for him. But um, again, I don't know what's going to happen. But anyway, so Mazzara looks good on paper. I mean, he's an outfielder as well, as far as I know. He can also play... Oh, there he goes, a right fielder. Um, but, you know, he could probably play left in a pinch. That's fine. Um, you know, and should, you know, if he, he does really, really well and 
he you know regresses over time defensively, then you could throw him on first base eventually. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I like the idea. He's a, a left-handed hitter, and I have been advocating for the Dragons to get a left-handed outfield bat. Aquino, however, is a righty, so I don't know. It's probably, in terms of fit, Mazara probably fits a bit better than um, than Aquino does. So I sort of hope that the Dragons do go after him rather than Aquino. But it, you know, they could probably they could probably send offers to both and then just see what happens. And I think that's probably what they'll do. Because uh, I just recently got read some news and it's news from a little while ago as well. I think uh, Hideo Kato, the um, general manager for the team. It's not really the general manager, but one of the, the um, front office guys sort of mentioned that they were in for a, a larger name uh, foreign addition, someone who had MLB experience. So with that comment in mind, you know, uh, the imagination whirls, doesn't it? So, But we thought, okay, well, as we, when I say we, I mean as fans, sort of thought that, okay, so if they're not going to go for... Um, well, if, if they're not going to, they're probably going to go for someone from the DR, and because Tatanami just recently was there, probably someone participating in the Dominican Winter League. Because I dare say, um, Monica, blah, 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 blah. now I've lost my train of thought. Um, it'll be someone who's been um, in the Dominican Winter League because Tatanami will probably want to sign someone he's actually seen play. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but so far, this is this comment that's come out from, uh, Tatanami himself. Um, eh, well, I'll say it in Japanese first, but not, not that that will help you too much, but ちょうどだ、あるという言葉からというもう3種も多いかのせが高い。日本に来てからどれだけ対応できるのか、配給の研究とかがとかもできる人であればね。なんとかいい選手を獲得できるように頑張ります。um, so to translate this, um, if they have power, there's a high and there's a high chance they'll strike out more often. How well they can adapt? How well can they adapt when they get to Japan? It'd be good if we could get someone who could research, do research on pick, pitch mix. I want to do my best to go get a good player. It, it doesn't sound quite as um, as good in English, but um, basically, um, I he, this is me my analysis but i think tatsunami is saying well we're looking to bring in a guy that can hit home runs but understand they're probably going to strike out a lot as well but um you know in the end it's sort of up to that player as to how well they're going to do it just depends on how well they adapt to japanese baseball and preferably you know someone who's willing to study how pitchers pitch in japan would be best which uh, i don't know it's sort of all what do you want to call it Captain Obvious sort of stuff, but um, at least to me, this tells me that they're not really concerned about going after someone who can do everything, you know, hit for average with a little bit of power. It's more just we want someone who can hit for power. Um, for some reason, um, Matt Clark came to mind. Um, obviously, I, I think Clarky doesn't play too much anymore, but um, he was the Dragons' cleanup hitter in 2012. And the Morichi Takagi, he hit like 24 home runs, but for like a 230 average or something, 240 average. Um, ironically, that's the kind of player that we probably could have done with over the last few years, just someone who can hit home runs. But um, that's not what's happening. So it looks as though Tatsunami is looking for someone who can just 
adapt to play in Japan, but still hit for lots of power. So that's sort of um, reassuring in a way that they're willing to sort of give up on uh, certain elements of um, a player's game. So what does this mean? Well, I sort of took this as meaning that um, someone like Aquino in particular, who does strike out a lot, could be a high chance to come to Japan. Um, simply because, you know, as soon as I saw someone who has, you know, if we go after someone with power, that means they strike out a lot. Well, yeah, that that's him. That's him. <laughs> but then again, I mean, he's not the only, you know, every power hitter strikes out of a fair bit, right? Because they are, they're not trying to just put the ball in play. They're trying to send it over the fence. Um, but yeah, this sort of thing um, I think is really interesting because I originally thought that they were just, Almonte and Calixte were going to be the end of it, and I was incredibly underwhelmed by that. But the fact that um, they're trying to be clever about this, signing them both on fairly cheap deals, and then going after someone of even higher pedigree, I, you know, I think that's pretty cool. I think, you know, the more the more, um, I, I'm not the Tatsunobu's hugest fan, to be honest. I'm not. I a lot of his things, a lot of the things he does, scratch my head. But the way he's going about his um, roster construction, I have to admit, is quite um, impressive. I'm. This is the first time I, in ages that I think a Dragons manager has been so proactive in trying to change the team in such a quick fashion. Most of the time, I feel as though it's sort of uh, we gradually just sort of bench players or send them to the farm, and then eventually they'll retire or we'll get rid of them at the end of the season. But it seems as though Tatsunami is going, no, no, we need to make change. We need to make it happen now. That's why he's making lots of trade moves. That's why he's releasing lots of dead weight. And that's why he's looking for creative ways to, as I say, establish a floor and then bring in high, um, I guess, higher potential talent. So I don't know. I can, I can really respect that. And um, I mean, we can put the other stuff aside, but there is... But I think we can be excited about what Tatsunami is doing. I think there's a vision. And it's not every time you get a manager in any sport, for that matter, where you can see what they're trying to do. You can actually see the vision involved. So you can see that Tatsunami is looking for players that have speed, that can steal bases. You can see that um, he's wanting to build a team that can win but also a team that can introduce through younger players and may even rely on younger players a bit as well so in a way he's sort of creating this um this team environment where younger players can push through and can make spots their own but um obviously there's still a high uh obstacle in achieving that but still, I feel as though just the way he's creating his team, it feels he's really trying to move away from um, previous regimes and how they've done it. And it's very possible that Tatsunami himself is getting more support from within the Dragons organization than previous managers have as well. And um, it is my understanding that since uh, Bungo Shirai, the uh, former chairman, stepped down, there's been very little resistance to Tatsunami's uh, coming into the side. And um, this, I mean, that was, I think, one of the key reasons he got hired was because Shirai, <laughs> Shirai retired. Because um, we, um, 
it, he had a bit of a feud with Shirai, I think, over the years, I think since he was a player. And well, as long as Shirai was chairman, Tatsunami was never going to become manager. So I think now that Tatsunami's come in, there's a lot of people inside the organization that believe in him, um, that probably get along with him, that have a lot of respect for him. And that's probably helping turn the cogs a little bit quicker than um, other, other, other managers. And I think, for example, like Yoda, as I, I, I respect him immensely as a manager, he just did not control the same air of respect within the team. Because if you think about him as a, in his playing career, he you know, got Rookie of the Year, um, was the closer for a few years, sort of fizzled out and then bounced around a few other teams before ended up being a colour commentator. Um, so his, his sort of connection to the Dragons is, I don't know, not, not weak, but not, not necessarily strong either. Whereas at Tatsunami, you know, he bleeds blue. Like, it's it's impossible to separate him from the Dragon's legacy and, you know, and vice versa. Um, and I think, again, Tatsunami is the type of person that just has a lot of um, relationships with different um, people across different planes of uh, the organisation and everything else. So anyway, um, I think that's that's all really um, interesting. And, and as I say, um, bringing in hopefully another high ceiling kind of talent um, to complement the team would be fantastic. And I hope it happens. Um, but yeah, uh, just a few other comments while we're here, uh, because I can. But uh, first of all, the hmm, uh, Yuki Okabayashi. We'll talk about him. So Yuki Okabayashi is, what, 20? He had his first full season uh, this year. Uh, hit relatively well. I think he hit about 280 with um, 700 OPS, stole a few bases, and was very good defensively. And because of all this, he got selected for a golden glove uh, in right, well, as an outfielder, because they don't really do right field, center field, etc. And was also the recipient of the best nine award as well which is huge for such a for such a young player so yeah okabayashi is a golden glove best nine player for 2022 and he also won uh, the golden glove in the uh, fielding bible award which i must admit i don't know much about but um i guess that's just another feather in the cap so it's really impressive you know okabayashi had such an impressive season for such a young player and this is something that's been missing from the Dragons, I think, particularly on the position player side, for quite some time. So hopefully some of the other younger players will see Okabayashi as an example to follow. And I guess it also... Um, what do you want to okay, um, It also means that the Dragons will be sort of re uh, re relieved in their decision to stick with him as an outfielder. Um, he was originally going to be a, a pitcher, I think when they drafted him, they actually drafted him as a pitcher. Um, but then as soon as he came to the team, they decided he was going to be an outfielder. So it's uh, interesting that, um, you know, that, that, that's really worked out well. Um, in the end, I think Okabayashi probably projected to be like a setup level uh, pitcher, but um, obviously as a hitter, he's um, sort of top of the order, top of the order hitter with good defense. So, you know, that's really good. Um, there was something else I was going to mention. Um, nope, it's gone. But yeah, so uh, I think that's that's about where we are at the moment. Um, 
another couple of bits. So Hideaki Wakui and uh, Yoshiki Sunada were both welcomed to the team uh, just recently in a press conference. So Wakui will wear the number 20, which is a, an ace number within the Dragons organization. It was previously worn by Senichi Hoshino, amongst others. Um, the last bearer of was uh, Ryosuke Nomura, who left the organization in 2017. But uh, it has been open since then because I think the Dragons feel it, um, it weighs on the players sometimes. So, uh, for example, I think Shou Ishikawa was, um, I think when he first got drafted, he sort of thought, ah, oh, the 20 would be nice, but I went with 40 because it's sort of double. <laughs> and then hopefully eventually I will um, be good enough to go get the 20. I think that was sort of his um, thing. But anyway, so Wakui gets that one. And uh, Sonada got 39, which I think was previously won by Ayatsugu Yamashita, the catcher. So, um, yeah, those two two guys have officially joined the team. Um, Wakui himself has decided he's not going to join in the, the Fan Festa you know, celebrations a little bit later on because he's just he doesn't know all the players yet which was fair, fair game to him. Sunada didn't really make any similar comments, but I wouldn't expect him to participate either, unless it's just sort of as a high. Um, yeah, so that's that's the other couple of bits and pieces. Um, the team are otherwise uh, renegotiating contracts and things now. Um, for example, Shuhei Takahashi, who was technically an FA this year, has signed a new deal that has it's about a 10% upgrade on his current deal um but i think over a, a number of years which i guess is good for him and um guys like shimizu tatsuya and uh eh, takashi hiroto um, you know some of these younger guys that don't know okabayashi for that matter have um all gotten fairly nice pay bumps because they're doing quite well um which is cool uh the other thing we have to look out for is still the uh, Rule rule 5 drafty thing, the active player draft. That's coming up soonish. So we'll have to see what the team's going to do there. I will keep an eye on things. And obviously when that all happens, I think it's second week of December, um, I will let you know if there's been any moves. And um, similarly, if there are any other further moves that the Dragons make in the offseason, I will be here. So um, that's... Uh, about all for me um, there was something else but I've forgotten it so don't never mind about that um, I hope you've learned a little bit about uh, what's going on with the team um, and you know we don't have to be super excited about El Monte and Calixte but we can be content I suppose with their capture how all these the players are all going to fit on the roster is another you know headache for another day um, obviously on the active roster we can only have four uh, foreign players at a time um, they can't all be position players and they can't all be pitchers. It needs to be 3-1 at least as a mix. And um, considering we have Raido Martinez and Yadro Rodriguez in the bullpen, that really only leaves space for two foreign hitters on the team. And Viciedo is sort of sol solidified at first base. So that really only leaves one position. <laughs> so whether that be Almonte or Calixte or whoever else. So that's, that's going to be interesting to see how they fiddle with that. Over the um over the season um that's and that's without bringing in another power bat so and without considering Pedro Rivera and Guillermo Garcia so there's um a few a bit of juggling to do but I mean that's the whole point of having depth right you assume that some players aren't going to play every game 
Right. All right. I'll put a pin in here. Thank you very much for listening. Um, I will let you know if anything else comes up. This is Scott signing off, Dragon's Holcast. Ciao.